3: Ah, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is TalkArt.
4: Welcome to TalkArt.
3: How are you, Rob? I am extremely
4: overexcited. Right oh my now? god, why? Because we've gone rogue, Russell. We've gone rogue. Yeah, that's a word that you talked.
3: I did. We've gone feral.
4: What is We have not gone feral. I don't like it when you wild, say
3: Wild. Of course. Wild
4: is what is what rogue means. Yeah. And why have we gone wild?
3: Because we've come to South London, Rob. We're no longer in the recording studio. We've come to a gallery. We're in Bermondsey. That's right. In South London. Correct.
4: Now, our guest today, so much has been written and said about this incredible artist, but we want to find out where she is right now in front of us in 2019. Yes. She's been made a CBE, nominated for the Turner Prize. What? She's had honorary doctorates. She's even a professor of drawing at the Royal Academy and is a Royal Academician. Um, she's like, set up a children's library. She's represented Great Britain at the 52nd Venice Biennale. She's raised millions of pounds for charities all over the world. And Russell and I have been friends with her for the past 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. We've even travelled the world with her. Yeah. But today, we've come to her exhibition...
3: At the White Cube Gallery... In Bermondsey.
4: To find out where she is now, we would like to welcome... Tracy Emin!
3: Hi, Tracy.
1: Hello. How are you? Hi, (laughs)
3: Trace.
1: I'm actually a bit kind of surprised by your introduction, actually.
3: Really?
1: Yeah, it was just kind of slightly dramatic and over the top. How is that, Why would you be
3: surprised? (laughs) You've (laughs) (laughs) You've hit the nail on the head, baby. I mean... So we're at your show, Tracy, (laughs) called A Fortnight of Tears at the White Cube in Bermondsey, South London, and we're incredibly excited to be here with you.
4: And it's the last three weeks. It started in February. Yes. And uh, we're currently standing under the sign, Tracy Emin, A Fortnight of Tears. Yes.
3: Is that a metaphorical fortnight or a literal fortnight of tears?
1: Actually, it started off as a literal fortnight of tears. I'm going to be really serious, by the way. Ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to be more serious than okay. you two. Okay, I'm going to be so serious, yeah. Yes. So, no, it's literally um, a fortnight of tears because I cried for two weeks or just over two weeks and burst a, a tear, you know, tear duct thing in my eye. And I went to the doctor and he said, you mustn't cry anymore. And I said, well, I don't think I can stop crying. And you can. After, you don't really cry for more than two weeks. You can't. It's really difficult to keep keep it up. And I always said that tears are like the silt of our mind and then they come through our eyes and then afterwards we feel better, we feel more relieved. So, but this show, a Fortnight of Tears, the title I've had for years and years and years and I've never been able to use it because I've never had enough meaning behind the tears, like the culmination of tears, all the tears. And then after my mum died, I thought, yeah, I've cried a lot this time. I can really use it.
3: Mm-hmm. And you, you, the title always comes first for you before the shows.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'll be making work like odd, oddball work, bits of work, and not really know where it's going. And then I'll have a sh- be offered a show, and then I'll come up with. I, and then I can't really work for a while. I, I go into what's it called? You know, I get a um, which a I'm having right now. Like... No, when you can't think, when you can't work. Block. Creative block, that's it, right. just had one. <laughs> 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 example, <laughs> yeah, for example, example, yeah. And, and and before I get the title, I'll have a creative block and, and, and then it becomes like a kind of fight with myself, a dialogue or something, and then a real fight. And then somehow within that fight with myself, the title comes out. And then once I have the title, then it's a, a response to that title that I bounce backwards and forwards. So this show... Um, has a lot of um, heartache in it, different a different response, but there's not actually. But there's not much tears of happiness anywhere. There should be, but there isn't, or there shouldn't be. There isn't any. You know, it's nearly all tears of sadness.
3: When and when you have a title, can you? Can't, we're going to start walking. Uh, can you see the show in your mind's eye at that point? How you how you think it's going to pan out?
1: No, not at all. Because like. I think, no, I think I've got the, well, I mean, I've had this title for about 18 years. Mm. 18 years? Really? Yeah. So, but never had enough force behind it to use it. And, and now that I've used it, you know, I'm, I'm crying, I'm crying because I'm lonely. I'm crying because I'm tired. I'm crying because I'm alone at night. I'm crying because my mum died and I miss her. I'm crying because I've been broken hearted. I'm crying because I've had abortions. I'm crying because I've been misunderstood. I'm crying because I've been raped. I'm crying because I felt objectified. I'm crying because no one listened to me. I'm crying because I kept screaming until I cried. All of those reasons, and they all come together in this show. Mm. And I've heard
4: before you say that when you start to think about making a show, you sometimes start with a much older work, and then from that older work, you can then... Sort of use that as a kind of like a
3: access Uh, conduit.
1: No, I think I used to before because I would have lots of work that I hadn't shown or people hadn't seen. Right. And now it's not like that. I mean, this show. What's different about this show? It's a whole body of new work. I haven't shown in London for five years, Mm. and I think people who think they know my work come here and realize they really don't know it and they don't understand what I've been through over the last five years. Yeah. And maybe they never understood me in the first place. So this show for me is really good. It's like I said. I said this thing about. um, um i felt like it was kind of like coming out and that there's no going back after this you know and it's like the kind of artist i am now this is it this is me this is who i am whereas before i think when i was younger it was like i always you know like going through some kind of transition towards the work towards the artist that i was going to be did you
3: feel that at the time or is that retrospective you can see that
1: no retrospective i can really see it but i think at the time i was just working and working and working Uh and then now i feel like this is my work this is yeah. yeah yeah
3: yeah yeah.
4: i felt incredible pride when i came to see the show a few weeks ago because i felt like this was the culmination of the last you know 10 15 years of being friends with you um having seen you in your studio working, particularly the development with your paintings and even the the first room here that we're about to walk into.
1: Well, with the insomnia room, but I wanted to read out. So so before the insomnia room, um, I wanted to read out this piece of text. So um, the first room that you going into is the insomnia room but just outside there's a text piece and it says outside it's still dark and soon I will see the crack of light above the curtain rail it appears like something supernatural a deep deep relentless exhaustion comes over me that at times is so consuming I feel like I no longer exist trapped between the dead and the living I fade in and out of worlds My mind living in a twilight zone. The road to death, my body in a wooden box, being carried on a cart. Rocks and rubble splinter beneath the wheels. A cloud of dust follows me. This is how it feels, my painful journey to sleep. Insomnia, it's back with vengeance my mind churning over again and again, no release, every mistake, every minor note of guilt comes back to haunt me, I swear to God that it's a slow killer, no rejuvenation, no time for mind or body to rest, it's like dying from inside, I lay here feeling semi-haunted and alone, listening to the birds' spring-dawn chorus. And that's the kind of thing I write when I can't sleep at night.
3: So this was written at a moment of insomnia?
1: This is three bits of insomnia Mm. that I wrote and then they were put together.
3: So writing for you is a huge thing. I remember a conversation we had years ago where I said, legacy-wise, what do you want to be really remembered for? And you said you're writing.
1: Well, I think I said that then because I felt that the writing probably was the truest form of what I did in a way. Uh-huh. And then now I don't think that.
3: You don't, right.
1: I think the writing my backbone to what I do and yeah. how I think, my thoughts. So a lot of artists that just paint or sculpt or use like, you know, m- materials the way I do, they're, they're not very conceptual necessarily. Or there's a naivety behind what they do. But with, with me, it's much more... Um, how can I explain it? Um, if I don't think about what I'm doing, I can't do it. But yet when I'm doing it, like the painting, for example, it's like a... a it's an action, a physical thing that I'm engaged with, but I also have to be engaged with the mental components of that and the, and the dialogue in my mind, and I think some of that is a kind of like a, a, not a madness but a kind of um honesty of of my thoughts and myself, and then physically with the work and I think this is why I'm so happy with painting at the moment because i'm'm I'm, I'm, I'm totally physically engaged with what I'm doing. And I think when I was younger, I wasn't physically engaged. I'd stopped all of that. And then also, back in the 90s, if you made paintings or drawings like mine, you stood no chance of getting a show. It was never going to happen. Right.
3: Why do you think that was?
1: Because it was deemed as being sort of like, um, sort of slightly stunted and not very advanced and not very intellectual and very um, rustic. You know, it wasn't considered to be um, highbrow or intellectual or, you know, the fact that everything conceptual was so fashionable,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and then someone like me would have been wholly unfashionable.
3: Because it, it was autobiographical.
1: Not, no, not because it was autobiographical, but because it was physical, because I physically drew and I physically painted, I physically did things. Everybody was polishing perspex in mm-hmm. the 90s.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whereas you were really inspired by people like Egon Schiele or German
1: Expressionism. Yeah, and Edvard Munch. And Edvard yeah. Munch,
4: yeah, exactly. Yeah. I
1: um. mean, when everybody in my generation was doing freeze, I was painting watercolours of donkeys up a Turkish mountain. Yeah. You know, I was hands-on. It was happening. You know, I was feeling it kind of thing. I wasn't thinking about it. I was literally feeling it. And so... Um, yeah I mean like I'm an out and out expressionist you know I wear my heart on my sleeve everything is like you know it's coming out of me or whatever I don't sit around and calculate and now as I've got older I'm, I'm more embracing that as well I mean I was, that's what I was like when I was very young but now I've returned back to that I've returned to truly what I am and truly what I know. But you can really feel that in this show
4: and that, that's the power of this show I mean when I came to the show, in my head it was a, you know, commercial gallery show and I left saying it's like a museum show. It's a really important moment for you, actually, I think, in your work. And particularly this room, which I remember seeing um, the beginning, maybe they were perhaps smaller than this, I think, printed out in your studio on the top floor in in East London. And I remember, I think it was around Christmas or something, and I I walked in about a year ago or something and was so impressed by this work and I was really excited. But when I saw the the resolved, you know, version of this work... Much larger prints. No,
1: they were A4. They're A4, and I had about three hundred and fifty of them. Right, and I was shuffling through them all. You know, yeah. And I was and I was saying, how am I going to present these? Is it going to go down the? Are they going to go down the corridor? Am I going to do it like wallpaper? Am I going to print them very beautifully, small, and frame them? What am I going to do? And I just, I just said, all I know is I'm going to show them, but I don't know how. Right. And then I printed up one big or two big like this. And I thought, no, I'm definitely going to go for big. But then how many, how, what, and everything. And then, of course, some of them, you know, I look at and I just, uh, it's hard for me to see. And when we hung them, we did a little mock-up thing with the A4 ones. And then the tit one was right in the middle on, on the lower level. And I said, no, we can't have the tit on the low level, you know. And then, and then there was other things like this one with the fat lip. You know, I couldn't stand it. And then the one of me crying, you know, is just after my mom died. And the thing about these photos, they're not contrived. This is me when I wake up. This is me when I can't sleep. And they're all titled by the time when the photo was taken. But may I say the selfies as well, just done with my iPhone, people say well if it's insomnia why is it say 11am or why is it say 2pm you know why not just 4 in the morning or three? and what people don't understand is when you have insomnia you and you don't sleep all night you are so exhausted in the day that you can't move and so often i'll return back to bed or and, and some of these as well are in france or whatever or some of them you know and also i have 24 hours a day 7 days a week i ha- i don't owe my time to anybody So I can sleep all day if I want. I can get up in the middle of the night. I can do whatever I like. But what I can't stand is with the insomnia, I cannot move. I'm kind of pinned to the bed. It's exhaustion. And it's like often you're too tired to read as well. And your brain is a kind of... And things will keep going over again and again and again. And you can't rid yourself of these horrors or memories or different things because it's in the dark of night and you're alone.
3: What's the timeline on these? Like over the course of a year? These
1: are about three years, these ones. Really, it's three years?
3: Did you know when you were taking them after Mm. a while, after you had like a folder of them, did you think, I'm going to do something or did it take...
1: No, they're all in my phone.
3: And then you were flicking through one day and went, hang on a minute. No, got...
1: they were all in my phone. And I was looking at and I was thinking, oh, I know what it was. I did a project for a magazine and they wanted me to do a, a German magazine. They wanted me to do a project. And I thought, oh, I think I'm going to, I'm just going to do my selfies.
4: Mm.
1: And I chose them, but they weren't all nighttime ones. And then I realized that from these sort of 10 selfies, about six of them were taken in the middle of the night. So I thought, oh, I'll start looking through them all. Mm-hmm. And then I had hundreds and hundreds.
3: And these are all different parts of the world because you obviously mm. go to New York and Miami yeah. and
1: Yeah. And some of them I can tell by the pajamas, okay.
3: Go on. Oh really?
1: Yeah. So so this this very pretty <laughs> white thing is this South of France pajamas. Mm-hmm. This flowery thing is south of pajamas south of France. Um the the little spotted ones are Australia. Um, hmm, the all of the these tartany Czech ones are London. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really the one on me looking like the Statue of Liberty, weirdly enough that's in Scotland. Um, but yeah, they're all um they all different places.
4: The thing that really struck me in this room is that sense of nighttime, even though they're not all at night time, but this is what I took away from it, was is that other world or something there's a theme in the show somehow of supernatural of other worlds and there's one particular picture there where your eyes are kind of blinking almost in the picture and it's where you're kind of in the present reality but you're also somehow in a different place do you know what i mean and that's i, I think is a really strong theme in this exhibition
1: and um, well there's some where i'm in hospital as well which is weird as well so i was really really ill when when you know i you know got my phone did the selfie kind of thing right. and The twilight zone, the twilight world, the other place, that's why these images are chosen and they're not just selfies. There are other pictures of me in bed, Mm -hmm. for example, that don't have what these have. Exactly. You know, it is this other place. Yeah. So... And that's
4: actually the great thing about you as an artist, is that even though it's autobiography, it's self-portraits, it's actually a reality that you want to show us and that you share with the audience. Mm. It's not not just like your life and you're just, you know, putting it out there. It's like, it's very considered. And I I really think this work particularly, you know, shows that. And Mm. I kind of missed seeing you actually in a weird way, in the work in some way. Like, I I remember saying to Harry, like, will Tracy do a performance again or will she start making films again? And when I walked in here, I was like, yes, this is like... And it's so unexpected. I wasn't... Even though I'd seen them in the studio, it had such a... I was, even though it's quite a sad thing as well, like powerful, you having this really. torment from not sleeping, it, I actually felt mm. a kind of joy from it, weirdly.
1: God, it feels so bright when you come out here in the corridor. And so the first painting you see now on our left is a sort of self-portrait... This painting was such a good painting and so realistic and such a good, like, portrait, like, like, you could say, oh, my God, she can really draw, she can really paint. Yeah. And then I got rid of it all and then I drew someone else and then I got rid of them and then I decided to start building up layers with the layers with the pink first and I mm. did that and then I hated it and covered it all in black and then I got rid of the black and that's what I've been left with.
3: Just staring at it now, can you see the genesis of it? Can you imagine, can you actually picture what was there before? Or once this is it now, you've sort of blocked out the rest? No,
1: I've blocked it out now, this one, completely. I can't remember what was there before, but I do remember it was very good, realistic self-portrait. Right. Where, you know, undoubtedly people go, oh, my God, it's Tracy, she can really, yeah, it really does look like Tracy. This doesn't now, this is like, this is like a some mark of... Yeah, you know, when I did this, I thought, God, is this my mum or is this me or what uh-huh. is it? It's like a stain of a human being. Do
3: you wish you'd left it as it was? No,
1: definitely not, no. I'd never ever show- I never would have shown it how it was, ever.
3: Right.
1: It was, it was too literal. It mm. was like too, yeah, it was, it was like, it would be like I'd gone to a life drawing class and we'd been told to do a self-portrait, right, you right. know, that kind of thing.
4: And this one, again, it's like an apparition or something. It's got, it's got different worlds in one location mm-hmm. somehow. Mm. For me, it's quite spiritual painting. And I love it when you paint your face. I have a little watercolour at home of yours um, from the Bath series where you took photos of yourself in the bath and then you made little watercolours that were in the Turner Prize show. And I, I've always loved it. I did mm. It's only tiny little quite, work, In a weird
1: way, quite similar to it this. It is quite similar yeah. to this,
4: but this is a larger format mm. and it's, it's different because the, the colours are so different as well. But
3: Would you say you're quite spiritual?
1: Yes, I would.
3: You would? In what way, do you think?
1: Um, like, well, I believe in other worlds, I believe in the afterlife, I believe in all things connecting, different times, connecting different parallel universes, different, I I really am, I really do believe in those things, Mm -hmm. I couldn't exist without knowing that they're there, so it's not like someone told me to believe in them, I know they exist.
3: Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, I have that feeling. I feel that yeah, I feel like there's an energy above us and people hmm. like looking after us and all that. Definitely, without any doubt.
1: Well I don't feel that so much. Oh. That <laughs> sounds like that Russell, that sounds a bit silly. No, I seriously no, no. I I love no that. that sounds like heaven, okay. Yeah, I feel like so, there's stuff so going I'm not, on. I'm, there's stuff going on, but I don't I I see that as being quite illustrative, mm-hmm. an illustrative way of seeing it. What I'm talking about is lines which join us together. Like the ley line thing. Not ley lines, lines, just lines anyway. Right. Call, you can say there could be ley lines, but, you know, whatever. but I think it's actually more scientific and and I'm sure it's only a matter of years before they prove that as we are standing here now, other people are walking past us. It's that we just don't see it. Uh-huh. Well, that's now, I'm like not talking about ghosts. Invisible lines or something. Interconnectedness like, so between all of us. And Spinoza, there. no? Yes, that's definitely from, very Spinoza. Yeah. yeah
3: explain Spinoza?
1: Spinoza's a philosopher. philosopher.
3: What was his what well, was actually,
4: he I weirdly called my album after it The Invisible Line, inspired by something that Tracy had written about his... Um, ..about when she was born, I think it was, in Exploration of the Soul, maybe. And you were talking about how you were connected to other times. and.
1: Yeah, like, you know, our moment of conception is what joins us to the past, present and future. It's what makes us... That moment is what brought us here. Exactly. And that is definitely a scientific thing. Not just a soulful, spiritual thing, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's all connected.
4: Mm-hmm. And actually in your ashes room, um, one of the next rooms, you have things very much related to this Well, why don't bit. we look at this Oh yeah, we first, can do this room yeah. first, yeah.
1: So this is the mother, and this is a bronze that w- weighs about a tonne and a half, I think. And it's over three metres high. And it's a bronze of an older woman, my mother, anyone's mother. But it's not of a young girl and it's not of a middle-aged woman. It's of a woman who's around 80. Yep.
4: Yeah.
1: And this bronze will eventually be in Oslo on, on Museum Island in front of the Monk Museum. And it will be nine metres high. Amazing. Looking out to sea, looking out to the field, and her legs, as he is now, she's like crouched. she's like her legs are bent underneath her, she's kneeling. But I think each leg will be something like six meters or something. Wow. Or,
4: and you're also doing a solo exhibition at the Monk Museum? At the
1: Monk Museum. Yeah, I'm the opening contemporary artist at the new Monk Museum in 2020.
4: And will the sculpture
1: be there then? Yeah. Amazing. Sculpture gets there before the show opens.
4: And that was a massive prize, like a competition. though. The sculpture was, yeah, yeah. it was a
1: commission. I had to put in a bid for it and I I won it. I wouldn't normally enter competitions, but I wanted it so much that I did it. So
3: this is made of bronze? Yeah, look. No, it's a hollow bronze. So how yeah. would so the creation of this this would start with a maquette, like a yeah.
1: We start off with a small one, and then we blow it up, get it bigger and bigger and bigger, and then we do the casting, lost wax. We do a sand casting actually for it, and then and then cast it, and then the bronze is cast.
3: And the original one that you made by hand, that would be made with clay, or would that be made
1: yeah. with yeah, But it's nice, isn't it? It's is beautiful. And
4: how does it feel for you now to be doing a show at the Edvard Monk Museum when you grew up and. You know, one of your how main
1: was your heroes. heroes. Well, when I, when I first went there, I started crying. And then I started crying when I found out I got this as well. I this bet, mission. yeah. It's like untrue, it's unreal. It's like how could, you know, when I was like, you know, 18 or whatever, how could I ever imagine that I'd become the kind of artist that would be showing in the Edvard Munch Museum in Oslo? It's incredible. Yeah, know. Yeah, it's like a real, it's like a total dream. It's, mm. yeah.
4: I remember about six years ago going to a hotel in Oslo and they have a neon by you of the screen, which yeah. is like in your scratchy oh, yeah, kind yeah. of line. I know,
1: but people think it's penguin. Oh, do that. Yeah. Penguin. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously the screen. Uh, no, no, honestly, that's kind of sweet though. I know, but it kind of was a bit annoying. I um, I, 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 <laughs> that is a bit annoying. Yeah, it's
3: like the screen. A penguin. <laughs> a penguin. A penguin. No, it's, no, the, it's screen.
1: the screen. I said yeah. to I said to Harry, we were in we, it's the Grand Hotel, and I said to Harry, go up to the barman and find out. What people think of my neon. I said, but don't let them know I'm here. So Harry goes back and Harry comes back with two gloss when he puts them down. He's very quiet. And I go, Yeah. So what did he say? He goes. I said, what did they say? And he said, Well, they call it the penguin. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Harry's your studio assistant.
1: Yes, uh, just, Harry's most, my creative director. Harry helps me with everything. We travel together. Um, he spends a lot of time with me in the studio when I'm actually painting. Harry tells me when to stop painting when I painted too much, you know. But Harry's worked for me for 10 years. Wow.
3: So, yeah. Wow. Since you, was... Do you feel like you're a, like a team now? Like you, Yeah. A, a lot of your work is tied up with this relationship. Yeah, definitely. Have...
1: Yeah, I'm very happy with... with Working with Harry. And he's worked for me since he was 18. Right. So he's only 28 now. Yeah. But Harry is probably the world leading authority on my work. So he yeah. knows he's only 28. He knows more about my work than anybody else. Yeah. So And he probably sees
3: stuff that you don't realise now because he's so involved. He can see things in your work that maybe you can't see yourself
1: no, it's not, not got that far. All right. No. <laughs> Give it another 10 years. Sorry, but he's yeah, over 30 maybe. Exactly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe next year.
4: So, Tracy, so. we're now standing in front of a triptych. Is it a triptych or are they individual No, they're works? individual Okay, works. they're individual paintings, but they're installed together, um, three paintings. And I was really struck. I remember seeing this one in the studio last year at some point, maybe in the summer. But I, I was really struck by how sparse they are in a way and minimal they are and the kind of confidence in that because I remember talking to you years ago when you said you have to feel very confident when you go to make a painting but you also do these layers and you often know that when you paint something the next day you're going to paint over it so you're kind of free in a way because you're going to keep putting layers upon layers Mm. but these works don't have layers upon layers no
1: but I, I don't know that anymore so sometimes I do I start doing a painting so I do the drawing and I think that I'm I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm just doing it. Yeah. And then I think, oh, my God, it's finished. And But it's the confidence in saying that it's finished. That's so okay. it's like this ghost apparition one, pink ghost. Well, actually, there's two lots of paint there. Mm-hmm. There's this bluey sort of purpley colour and then the pink on top. But I could have carried on painting on that. I could have drawn black lines into it. I could have done all kinds of stuff. I could have turned the canvas around the other way and, made it into, you know, a reclining figure.
3: You do that a lot, don't you? You change the projection yeah. of it and then start again, right? Yeah,
1: definitely. But, but this time I just thought, oh, and because of my mum dying and everything, and I had this pink ghost, I thought, it's kind of good as it is. So I don't need to touch it. The chance of doing that in one go phew, with a brush, boom, is really rare. Mm-hmm. So you could do that and think it's not finished, and then you'll never do that again in your lifetime. Mm-hmm. No. So, and then the other one, Carrying the Ashes, this one, this is, it was, um, this is just two lots of colour.
3: You started with a pencil, right? Or did you end with a pencil? Yeah. Pencil marks underneath, when did they appear?
1: Um, I didn't even know there was pencil marks there, and the pencil marks are not... I wonder, yeah, there is pencil marks there, you're so right, I didn't even know there was pencil marks. I wonder why I did pencil marks.
3: Would you've done them first, do you think?
1: Yeah. I didn't even notice them. Well done,
3: Thank Russell. You. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, it's very rare for me to have pencil marks on anything, but I don't know why I did. It really works,
3: though. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: And again, it gives you that that, that
4: um, idea of different time points or something. It it's has titled in of like pencil, like isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's always titled. The pen- it's always titled in pencils. I never do the titles in paint. So because because is it so minimal it would ruin it wouldn't it it would, yeah. be, too, it would be like a whole another painting in yep. itself so
4: I, I actually find these works this this room because we we obviously knew your mum, and I just found it incredibly uh, arresting and touching to the point where I got quite emotional when I first saw this one, mm. and I remember that day when you were carrying the ashes across from your studio to your house, and weren't we having a party or something? It was like a Christmas party or something no. Yeah? Oh, was it
1: not? No, I think I probably told you about it. Oh, you told me yeah. about it
4: that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Because my mum's ashes had been... Uh, Natasha had gone and collected my mum's ashes and they were in the studio and then I was painting in the studio mm. really late to about three in the morning. I thought, like, oh, I'm, really I'm going I'm to go home now. It was really windy. It was like November, so windy. And and then as I was about to... Oh, oh no, my mum's ashes are upstairs. Mm. And I can't leave them here on their own. I've got to take them with me. And it was like about half three. And so I walked home carrying my mom's ashes. And it's only like a five-minute walk, but I had to go past Christchurch Spitalfields. And it was so windy, and the trees were all blowing, and it was everything. And I'm holding these as- these box of ashes, and I realised that I must have looked so gothic, and forlorn, and such a strange figure. And someone said I saw Tracy. She was carrying something. Her head was stooped down. She was crying. And then when I got to my house and I opened the door, these ashes were so heavy. And I opened the door and I thought, God, they're so heavy. And I put them on the table and I thought, of course it's heavy. It's my mum's ashes. Mm. This is never going to be a light thing to carry. And then I thought, how many people carry... Some people people carry ashes when they're going to throw them somewhere Mm. or something. But they know it's to the end of a journey Whereas I didn't. I was just taking them home because I didn't want to leave them on their own. I didn't know where they were going. Mm. And in a way, it's like carrying this sort of weight when you never know you never know when you're going to put it down. becomes heavier and heavier. Mm. So that's what this room is about. That's why I called it the ashes room. Yeah. So um, there's a series of drawings. And... Like, not particularly good drawings of me carrying the ashes. And they're not, like, my best drawings ever. But I loved them because they're real. They were the drawings that I did the next day. They were the drawings that I made in memory of it. Yeah. And had I have done these perfect drawings of me carrying these ashes, it wouldn't have been sincere. It wouldn't have been, for me, what it was about. And they're kind of dark. They're kind of, like... Strength. And this box I'm carrying, it also looks like a ballot box or a letter box or something. And you don't really understand that it's mm. ashes until you see the film, which is around the corner and you see the ashes on the table. Yeah.
3: Mm. And these were made in one sitting. You sat down and made all mm. four of these, yeah. Wow.
1: And then in the vitrines, I've got four vitrines and it's sex, love, fear, death. And these are my personal collection.
3: And what are we looking at now? Sex.
1: So, we, we, yeah, I mean, kind of like anger, really. I think. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, these are. So, we're basically we're looking at a series of drawings, and what's it, and the drawings are actually on both sides as well of the paper. Mm.
3: And how do you know that you want to keep these for yourself?
1: Because the drawings are on both sides. Right. So I want to keep them. And these all have text as well, like yeah.
4: poetry and thoughts.
1: And there's a little sketchbook here with some strange drawings in, and I do hundreds and hundreds of notebooks, sketchbooks, write hundreds of letters, and they're all things that, you know, aren't... Sometimes I give them away or I give them away as presents or I send them to someone or whatever, or I write someone a letter in a book so they have a whole little book from me, something Mm -hmm. like that.
4: You posted me one of your stills (coughs) from your Those Who Suffer Love video, and you wrote the a animation. letter on the drawer. <laughs> and you said something like, the hand's a bit crappy, but I know that you're like it or something. <laughs> got it when around. we
3: first came to your work, well, personally, it was through monoprints. It was through your. Yeah. Which, yeah. which I'd never really seen before in art. And you work more not in monoprints. Now. No, I
1: don't work in monoprints at all anymore. I did. I worked in monoprint for about 20 years. And. I think it must be the most unsuccessful medium for any artist to work in because people think it's a print and mm-hmm. it's not. It's a unique drawing, but mm-hmm. it's on both sides in reverse, and so people aren't interested because they think it's a print. They don't understand that it's actually a drawing. So, um, but I think my my monoprints were more like a diary, mm-hmm. something I kept up all the time continuously, whereas the, 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 the gouaches and watercolours are much more about the finished drawing the finished object that you know it's not preparatory it, it is what it is kind
2: of thing hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass!"
0: From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
1: Moonpig.com
0: Do you keep
3: a diary? No. No.
1: Don't keep a diary. I haven't kept a diary for years. And I'll tell you why, Russell yeah. Toby. Come on. <laughs> because if I do, someone will read it.
3: What, now or... As part of your whole like, legacy.
1: Yeah. And they'll think, oh, well, she wrote a diary so we could read it. And so the only way I could write a diary is if I burnt it. Mm.
3: Right. Would you, but you, your monoprints are like a diary, would you say? Yeah,
1: but like a visual diary. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I think, you know, me writing a diary, I mean, um, I think the insomnia portraits are like a diary as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But the main way I write a diary is when I write letters to people. Mm-hmm. Right.
3: Do you archive your letters?
1: I archive everything.
3: Uh-huh. Say
1: I again. Archi- I, archive ev- I archive everything. So
3: if you write a letter to someone, you would have a copy of no, that? No, I wouldn't. Never. Oh, never?
1: No. As long as it wouldn't be a letter, would it? No. Yeah, it would be something... It's funny, the idea of the
4: monoprints being like a diary, because it's true, like, what we bonded over... Yeah. We actually met each other through you uh, in Scotland, and we bonded over your drawing titles um, for all of your monoprints, and it was just that series of work. And there's, there is... The, even the titles are all part of that kind of diaristic yeah. story. So now we're walking through to the film.
1: So this is the film of The Ashes... And this is just in my in my on my ground floor in my house where my mum's ashes are kept. But I moved them from the little table to the big table.
3: A lot of people have seen this film were unaware that your mum was called Pansy. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, because everyone calls her Pan. Yeah. Yeah, because she didn't like being called when she was young, Pansy. You know, was made reference to homosexual, yeah. mm-hmm. and she said, you know, it's not that, obviously nothing, but it being called pansy was—it's like more like being called Pufter or something. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even being, or it was—it was meant in a derogatory way, and that's mm-hmm. what the problem was. It wasn't her name, or whatever. Mm. So, where um, does the name
3: pansy come from? Gypsy. Is it?
1: Hmm. Well, it's a lovely name, isn't it? Yeah, I, I
3: like it, yeah.
1: Well, if my mum had had her way, I would have been called Pebble. Really? Hmm. Why? I was called Pebble for, for like a day and a half. And then the nurses said, You can't call her Pebble. Oh. And my brother would have been called Django.
3: Amazing. Pebble. Pebble. Pebble yeah. and you could Django. have been called Pebble. And then you married The Rock. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but, Can yeah. I just
4: say about this film the the thing that is so incredible about this film is the stillness. Mm. And it, you, you're sort of panning in and out on the camera, but there's this real sense of stillness. And you do have to really stop when you look at this work. And that's such a rare thing these days. People are always so kind of doing hundreds of things, looking at hundreds of things, communicating, never stopping. But I feel with this work, you have to slow down and well, really respect It's it really strange
1: really... because... Um... Um, everyone was expecting me to put a soundtrack on it because originally I was going to and then I said I didn't want to because it was all too much for me anyway in the soundtrack. It's like, I can't. No. And then the candles weren't alight because if the candles were alight, they would look too dramatic and too strange. I wouldn't have the candles alight. You know, and the whole thing was kind of like, and it is what it is. And it's genuine. This is how it is for me with living with my mum's ashes. Exactly. And I also think a lot of people that live with ashes have to deal with this kind of thing, what to do, how to, you know...
4: And it really makes me think how little we talk about death, like, in our culture. Like, you know, there's some cultures... I'm talking about like Western British culture, but mm-hmm. there's some cultures where death is really discussed and celebrated in a way. Like, But here we don't talk about it. And I, I love that about this artwork because it's really making people think about grief and yeah. bereavement and death and loss and and just that reality of that, the quietness. Well you're,
1: well, you're supposed to get over it, aren't you? You're supposed to be okay. So after my mum died, a few months later, people said, what's wrong with you? And I said, my mum's died. And, they said, and then people were about to say to me, but that was... That was months ago. Mm. It's like my mum. It's my mum. Mm-hmm.
3: think you ever got yeah. over that? No.
1: Well, no,
4: you're changed.
3: So I, I wanted to ask you, Tracy. You, a lot of the paintings and drawings, the face is blacked out or covered over. You don't really see many features. Why is that?
1: And um, it's because when I used to paint my own face, then people just only. Re- it's not a conscious thing. People just relate it as me. But if there is no face, it can be anybody.
3: Got it so people but, can project onto it and it could yeah, be themselves. But, but there or... is
1: there is some that have got faces. There are some that are, look like some you know you can see it's some you know whatever. But I, I also when the face is in the picture it overtakes the whole the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I think if I was to paint faces it would be I'd have to paint literally just faces, if you know what I mean. Be really focused on it. Right. But but for here it's not important.
3: I love that one.
1: That's mine. That was from Xavier's show. Oh, was it? Mm.
3: And you knew in that show that you were taking that one home, you, they that wasn't available?
1: Um, yeah, but from the, with Xavier's, you have to say, um, I have to say, I want this one, I want that one, and then they put a dot on the back, they okay. mark it on the back, and so it doesn't matter who wants to buy it whatever, it's can't, it's gone. Okay, okay, And that had the thing on the back.
3: And this is Xavier Hufkins, who's your gallerist in Brussels? Yes. And how have you been with him?
1: I've been with him for about five five or six years.
3: And has he been a game changer?
1: Yes, massively. How come? Because Xavier is, first of all, he is Mr. Brussels. He's Mr. Euro. He's Mr. Blue Chip European Gallery. Yeah. And he, he does things very differently from Jay and Lorcan, Jay Joplin, Lorcan O'Neill, who's my gallerist in Rome. And I have I'm so lucky that I have this amazing... Between the three of them, it's an amazing combination of gallerists. And I love them. They're my friends, and I love them, and I'm really lucky that I work with them. Because a lot of artists, don't, they, they can't say they love their gallerist. Mm-hmm. I love Lorcan, I love Xavier, and I love Jay. And I'm lucky because of that. Mm-hmm. But it is really good working with Xavier because it definitely adds another dynamic to my work and another... People... Actually, I think people... Um, See my work differently because it's in another context. Right. So, but I think this show is a massive.
3: Well, critically, it is a massive show. But critically, this has been a game-changing hmm. show for you. This has been a massive moment. You had five years out before your last show here, and then you've come back, and people have gone crazy. They've had record figures here of like audience numbers. But what people are writing about you is phenomenal. And how that, what, Why do you think that is? And how does that feel now?
1: I think I think it's because, um, well, also, I think another thing is that people's attitudes have changed towards women since my last show here. And before, I was considered to be, you know, whinging and moaning and banging on. And now people realise, actually, I'm talking a, a qualified language about being a, wom- a woman and how women are treated. Mm. And, and people also understand that the last 30 years, this isn't a new subject for me. This is what I've been, you know being raped, being abused, being this, being that, you know, this is what happens to women. And I've always had a voice in this, except I was actually really pushed down for a long time with it. Exactly. And now they can't do that to me because it's a qualified language which everybody's using.
3: Mm-hmm. Do, you feel, do you feel kind of sad that you wasn't recognised for that before or do you feel that you're relieved... Well, obviously, you're relieved now, but it, what, what is that feeling? Is there a slight... <laughs> animosity towards that, knowing that you were here the whole time doing this the whole time and no one was giving you the credit you deserved.
1: No it wasn't about that so much. it was the fact that people were putting me down, which is worse. I not wasn't looking for credit. But what I didn't want to do was be slammed down or told, oh here's Tracy Emin moaning on again about abortion or moaning on again about being raped at thirteen. Moaning on again about this. I wasn't moaning. Yeah. I was stating the facts. I was stating the facts that, that teen sex happens. I was stating the facts that girls get pregnant when they're really young. I was stating the fact that women have to get up in their lunchtime from work and go and have an abortion then go back and sit at their desk as if nothing's happened because mm. they've been made to feel so ashamed about what's happened and had no support. Mm. You know, that, isn't, that, that shouldn't be my language. This is a universal language that people have to start talking about and discussing to make things better. Mm.
4: Actually, there's a film in this show from 1996 called How It Feels um, about uh, your first abortion, and that film is exactly that. I mean, you're sort of talking about the experience of what it is. You're not saying... You're for one thing or another thing, whether you're pro or anti. No, well,
1: I'm telling people how it feels to have an abortion. This is what it feels like. So you've got your pro-life people, you've got your pro-choice people, and how many of them have actually had an abortion? I'm standing there saying, "This is how it feels." Now, judge me against that.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm. And that was so ahead of its time that that kind of a, you know, the confidence and the bravery in a way, not yeah, yeah to stand up. Well, and
1: 1996. Be honest, like that. That's. Um, yeah. oh, that's how how
3: long ago was that? Uh, twenty years ago. Twenty three years. Twenty
1: three years ago. And it's in this show now. Yeah. And it's still qualified. It's still it's still, it's still totally relevant. It is. Yeah. It's still
4: just as powerful as the first hmm. time I saw it. Um, you know, because of the whole Me Too movement, you know, the way that people are now speaking up about mm. everything,
3: it's like You've been an ambassador for you? you've had so many young girls over the years. I remember you saying in various conversations, have come and found your work and it's been like a, mm. oh, yeah. a one like
1: Well on on the uh on the door of the um Theatre here. We've you know every every week the warnings had to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Oh really? Yeah, telling people about the film. Yeah. Right,
4: right, right.
3: We've just walked past Rob's favourite painting. I know painting, that's my favourite painting. Oh, have we? I have yeah, to we say just, it. Wants, this Angel. is Rob's favourite painting. Angel. I love this
4: work. And again, I don't know if it's because it's. More of a minimal one somehow, but I just loved it. And I love the whole decision of the white on the face. Well,
1: it was really brave painting. So I did this sort of like drawing on the canvas with a very dry brush. Mm. And then I really liked it, but I thought, how can I? But well, I hated the face here. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to paint all over it because it's too complicated for me to paint. I don't want to paint a colour on it. I don't want to just do a pink wash on it I, either, you know. And then so I started to paint it out and I painted out the face first. And then once I put the white on, I thought, that's enough paint, that's
3: it. It's, I know, it's, it's just perfect. Mm. So again, with the titles of these, so you, you, find, you find the title of a show and then you make the work, but yeah. then once these the titles are the, well, the actual works...
1: I make the work and then I title it. Right. Because I don't know how the work's going to be. Right, right, right. So I don't think... I want to make a painting of an angel. I do the painting and then I think, wow, it's like an angel carrying me. And this really reminds me of
4: your really early work, I think even from the 80s, when you were doing monoprints and drawings of, like, religious... Um, yeah.
1: The crucifixion kind of mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, the yeah. crucifixions and... Yeah, I loved all those.
3: So we're currently walking down the corridor.
1: So we're in the corridor, but people might not re- people who know White Cube really well realize that I've actually changed. I I blocked the wall in at the back and made the corridor longer. Ah. And that's why it feels so feels nice.
3: Yes, yeah, lovely.
1: Yeah. And and down here we have got a different series of paintings. We've got the picnic paintings. This is all about relationships this area. And then this is um a text painting and it says um not to love the person you are with is a crime.
3: I saw this in France, where I was with you this summer.
1: Yeah, in the I had an exhibition in the olive grove. That's right. Uh, all, most of these paintings here, we dragged, put out all around by the olive grove and had oh, like wow. a little opening. It was just really <laughs> brilliant.
3: Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, but this is this is a powerful painting because you can project onto this in so many ways. I mean, my own personal experiences in life I put onto this. And I think I, people can come to the, the words in this and be like, "Yeah,
4: totally." I was thinking what it would be like if you were with someone that you didn't love and you were here.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, no, but that's, at it. Why, but that's why I put it opposite the chairs.
3: Oh, oh. that's me. So are <laughs> making row them of four chairs opposite the because it is a crime come later though.
1: Not no, because it was first of all. Look, it is a crime ah. uh, not to love
3: the right, the right out person. person. You are weird.
1: You are weird. and then I changed it all, and it is.
3: And but and this is overworked. You can see.
1: I know this had a whole painting, a figurative painting underneath. It's had about two, or three paintings underneath this one.
3: And has it been twisted and turned at any yeah. point? Yes.
4: Maybe one day they're going to do like a
3: scan. Sometimes, of it. But you, sometimes can X-ray you can. These, X-ray right? X-ray sometimes them,
1: yeah. you can see where I've done. The painting, and you can see where I finished the painting and where I titled it, and oh, the title's right. up there. You have actually titled it, and then yeah. you've gone back. Yeah, and then I've turned it around again, but not this This one. There's a couple in here where the titles are up the up so the there, way. So there's
3: four seats opposite this painting, so you can come in couples and analyse your relationship while staring at it. Yeah.
4: <laughs> so you showed these in France, outdoors. Um, how important has France been to you? Because nature is such an ongoing theme in your work that I don't think people even really consciously discuss or think about. And to me, it's one of the... the my favourite thing you do is when you involve nature in your, in your paintings. Well, or your I don't drawings.
1: think anyone would realise how important nature is to me. Mm. But um, my little tiny studio in France is where the majority of these paintings were made. Which is unbelievable. Yeah.
4: Because it is tiny, isn't it's it? It's miniature, And these yeah. are huge paintings we're about to walk into, I mean, I mean, in this room.
1: But you know what I want to do? I wanted to read out the warning on oh, the, yeah. oh, yeah.
4: of the film, yeah, yeah, yeah. right?
1: So So this,
4: this is for we've... your film from '96.
1: 19- mm. So, this film is called How It Feels, and it, it explains how it feels to have an abortion. And on the door of the theatre, it says Tracy M in How It Feels 1996, single screen projection and sham, sound, shot on the H. What's that? High eight.
3: high eight. High
1: Eight, yeah, High Eight, it's old, old term. Transferred <laughs> to DVD, duration 22 minutes, 33 seconds. Screening commence on the hour and on the half hour. Please note, this film contains subject matter some people find, will find distressing distress and includes detailed descriptions of a medical procedure.
3: Wow. So, why, Be- can't, why, why is it not...
1: Because we had about three or four people faint, had some people complain, had some people... Because but what was about,
3: their complaint? It was too graphic? Or it's it was too,
1: too Because of my description of how it feels to have an abortion... Oh. I mean, I don't describe literally how it no, feels no. or what it is. That is, I describe how I feel yeah. and how I felt afterwards. Wow.
3: Descriptions of a medical procedure. Yeah.
1: And we're not talking about eyelid surgery. No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> so your same studio
3: in France has been incredible for you and the, the majority of the paintings of this show came from there. And yeah. You're about to move back to Margate where you're originally from, and your studio there. And how are you feeling about making work
1: Well, too, this, this gallery is 50,000 square feet, mm-hmm. and my studio in Margate was 30,000 square feet. Wow. I know, I was just about
4: to say, it's not like France, because it's going no. to be huge. You've got so <laughs> much space there. But how
3: do you feel about being there to make work? Like,
1: well, I'm really looking forward to it, because I, I could be working on, I could work on 40 canvases at once, like a demon, like a whirling dervish, like a banshee. You know, I can throw buckets of paint. I can go insane. I can, you know, I can just go crazy. I can get golf balls and smash them into the canvases. You know, I can do whatever I like. But I can then paint them all out white. Then I can do drawings. So sometimes I do a canvas, and it's just a very graphic one, a bit like the what I call a blow painting. Yeah, right? I saw
4: that earlier. I hadn't actually seen it the first
1: time. Anyway, so you know, but. <laughs> If I wasn't strong enough, I could think, oh, no, I'm going to paint over that because it's hard to live with, it's hard to look at, the subject matter's hard, everything's hard, it's very graphic, it's very hardcore, it's not pretty colours, you know, everything. So I could say, well, it was interesting for me to do, but now I'll paint over it and do another paint. Actually, it's fucking interesting. I've got to keep it. Yeah. You know and in Margate, I can maybe do four or five of those really graphic things and think yeah I'm just going to keep them all and then look at them in two months time stack and put them to one side wow. and then work on another lot then work on this then work on that then move around work on the raw canvas work on prime cap you know just keep moving whereas at the moment I can only, I'm just You know, having to do one, two, three. You shift it
4: around.
2: You
1: never know. I might actually decide, oh, God, actually, I like confined, confined, cramped up space. But it's going to be... a reason why a lot of people don't paint is because they're frail. And when they get older, they become more and more frail. And to paint physically and energetically like that, climbing up ladders, coming down ladders, moving, mixing paints, standing up all day... and big brushes as well boom 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 it's like boxing or something Mm. you know and it as you get older it so for me hitting 56 this year you know i've got like about another 30 years left maximum and i might only have about 10 years left really doing the real big physical stuff Mm. so i really want to have a go at doing it
3: how long are you in that zone of being physical like when you lock into it how long can you sort of stay there the what long, do you eat and drink?
1: The longest. I'll tell you what I eat. I eat corn crackers and sliced cheese.
3: Fantastic. <laughs> do you a tea with that?
1: I have green tea and then I progress into white wine. Mm. And, yeah.
3: and that period of time, what's the longest you've ever been, like, zoned into painting?
1: About eight hours.
3: Just solid?
1: Yeah, but, you, but it's not solid, though, because you sit down and you look for half an hour and then you get up and you go... And then if I'm working on four or five at once, then mm. yeah. But if I'm just working on one painting, then never. It's like you're talking two hours or three hours at a time because you, you can't sustain that. that. And the other day I painted for a really long time, for like maybe five hours, and then I slept for 14 hours afterwards.
3: Wow. is so that therapy, it's like going through that sort mm. of...
1: It's like sex. So. so you have a kind of exhaustion mm, well it's kind of like everything you know, it's Yeah, it's like ah, oh, this sort of I've thing, yeah. yeah, and then afterwards it's like you just completely like feel drained and
3: Knackered is the word, isn't it? Post-sex sleeping. I
1: don't know, really.
4: Now, something that I felt the first time I came in to this room and again today was just almost like the colours off the canvases are somehow, like, in the air around you. It's so powerful, the the palette you've chosen. And it's a really unusual palette. It's not a palette I've really seen in contemporary painting, like, recently. These kind of purples, pinks, reds, Mm. and even a really dark blue with those colours. Mm. It's a really unusual palette. How does the colour come to you like how do you pick your colours almost
1: well a few people have mentioned to me about the palette about the colours and they are strange aren't they but they work, but they're just very unique to you.
3: They are very, that's what I mean, they're your, they're your Yeah, but, and you, when, you're but very the
1: last lot of paintings that I've been doing recently are uh, different, of different colours, right. much more more grey and black and blue oh, and yeah. so on. But maybe that's because I'm doing it in London in the winter and not in France, where it's very beautiful light and everything. Right. And also, in France, there's all the, fl- all the lavender and all the flowers and lots of these, col- lots of these colours in here, very, like, they pick up on all the colours in France that I see. Ah, oh, interesting. Mm.
4: And we ask every guest on the podcast a few questions. One of them is, what is your favourite colour?
1: This is a good time to ask you. Mm.
4: Blue. Blue? Mm. And, and why blue?
1: Well, I could lie, couldn't I, and say I'd like to try and be really clever with some sort of amazing colour, <laughs> right? But blue because I think it's, well, it's, it's the colour of, of the sky. It's the colour of some kind of affinity. It's the colour of the sea. It's the colour of many things, you know. And it's the first colour that comes into my head, as right. opposed to being cu- clever and saying... But then that's interesting because
4: you love swimming as well, don't you? And you mm. obviously grew up by the sea.
1: Yeah, but Mar- the sea, Margaret, it's green. Is it? Yeah. I didn't even think about it's that. It's rarely ever blue. Really? Yeah. It's, I'll have to look next time I go. It's the North Sea, and English Channel. You never think about the English Channel and the North Sea being blue. No. No.
3: Is it a certain blue or any blue?
1: I think the blue depends on my mood really.
4: Mm-hmm. Is I there Harry. blue that you like <laughs> in um, other artworks? Other no, not really. Not? I wouldn't
1: no. I wasn't even you thrown me with that question because I wasn't even really thinking about color because walking around here you'd expect me to say pink. Right. Cuz there's a hell of a lot of pink yeah, there everywhere. Is.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> but is this the... this is majority of that's blue.
1: There's a lot of pink in it, Ross, look. Yeah there is pink everywhere again, actually you can see the work and you can see
3: that that was a landscape work right
1: <laughs> that was a, that was oh, yeah, a, and
3: there's text on there
1: yeah there's text but it wasn't it was a person there yeah, a figure with her way and that says i don't know who i love
3: and do you like being able to see what's been before like, i like like this
1: one on this one a lot yeah, yeah. very happy with this painting yes and for people
4: who are listening, we are now standing next to two giant sculptures um, of figures lying down.
3: How how did they get these sculptures in here?
1: It's a secret. Oh, is it? But I'll give you a clue. <laughs> Helicopter. I <laughs> know oh, they they came on trucks, right? And all the traffic had to be um, stopped and the roads closed off and everything. I thought you meant how did they get them in this room? Yeah, how
3: did you get them in this room? Yeah,
1: giant big door.
3: Is, like a it, hidden door.
4: Yeah. Wow. I know where it is, and I have to tell you why. Because Harry, your creative help uh, director, director, sorry, your creative director creative was pointing her. at me, and he's showing me the wall. This is the. Uh, does that wall yes, come out?
3: This is. I love this. You're wow. like a little kid.
1: Wow.
3: Yeah. Sci-fi.
1: It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, really cool. cool.
4: You'd never guess.
1: No.
3: And these weren't on the back of the truck, just like out in the air. Yeah,
1: they were. Were they? So we, people
3: could have driven past these and been like, yeah, what is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? If they, you're behind that in traffic, you'd be like, sorry. <laughs> it's like wide open. <laughs> legs. We're, we're at the, the tail end of yeah. the one, the sculptures. How
4: big is this one? It's huge.
1: How big is it? It's like uh, six meters. Six meters thirty.
4: Minutes.
3: And these would have gone from your studio, is the, the maquettes, and then they would have gone to a foundry in the UK?
1: Yeah, whereas they go up in this place called Newcastle and Lime, and that's where they're cast, and then they come back down to London and they go to um, AB Foundry where they're all soldered and put together. Take about six months to make.
3: Wow. I oh, said so th- they would be in sections, and then that would be yeah. su- just seamless. You'd have the lines. Yeah. Oh, right. I so didn't
1: know in, that. in here, there's like lines. Some you can't see because. It's 32 sections. 32
3: 30. sections, but, but they can't be taken apart again once they've Never. been soldered. That's Never. it. And do you know where these are going? The,
1: the, uh, yes, I do. Some going, to, one's, going to, um, one's going to Israel, one's going to Edinburgh. Edinburgh.
3: Wow. And, um, to private collections or to public collections or?
1: Uh, both museums and public oh, collections.
4: And you had a really great one in um, Chateau Lacoste. In the summer, yeah. when you did your exhibition there. And that was the first time I'd seen one, like, outside. Or was it inside? It was inside. Oh, no, it was inside. That's right.
1: Yeah, that went through a giant big door too. Hmm.
4: Yeah,
3: another big door. <laughs> so we also ask everyone who we interview, if you, had a, if you could do an art heist and you could steal a work, your touchstone artwork that you would legally be allowed to have, what would that be?
1: Either one of Vermeer's love letters.
3: Amir's love letter? Vermeer. Vermeer's yeah. love letter. Yeah. Right, right, right. What, what do they look uh, Amir, like? Amir, Amir. I was Amir. like, who's Amir? He's <laughs> <laughs> he well, I mean, a remeer like, love obscure. letter. Tell me about, tell no, me
1: about Vermeer's love like, letter. No, no, so there's so this paintings where it's like a maid is passing, but. The mistress gives the maid a letter, and she takes the letter. Or, all these like these moments of, like with Vermeer's paintings, there's the moments of intrigue, like, like a small play that's unwinding or whatever. Mm. Uh-huh. And it would look brilliant in my house. It would look brilliant. And I suppose I'd have. There's a couple of monks that I would have, but but if I had the monks, then I could only have, like just say one monk in a room and nothing else at it's all. Too because it's too much, yeah. And. um I'd probably go for some sort of Byzantine jewellery that I'd wear constantly. Yeah, um, lovely. What else would I like? You
3: only asked for one.
1: No, but, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you, you've got, I got like, a lot of that. You've got an art reference.
3: I do too? But you collect, don't you, as well? Yeah, I collect. What, who art. do you collect? Who do you like to collect?
1: Um, one of my favourite artists to collect is David Altmead. Yes, and I've got lots of his work now. Not lots, about four or five pieces. Do you live with them? No, because I live in a Georgian house. Uh huh that was built in 1729 and with David's work I think if I was have, have his work in my house yet again I could just have one like one of his heads I have that's so scary mm-hmm. it, it scares life out you, and it's got these crystals in the it's mouth it's like they've been caved out have they
3: yeah. and they replaced with crystals and
1: yeah and I would just have to have that in one room and nothing else nothing at all mm. so I'm not ready for that yet mm-hmm. yeah I'm not that sublimely you know kind would of you of, live
3: with them in Margate?
1: yes yeah, in Margate I think I'm looking forward to Margate because I've got the space so I can first Someone can put a lot of my art collection up.
3: Amazing, and you've got Louise Bourgeois works as yeah, well.
1: Yeah, I've got Louise. I've got Louise Bourgeois hanging in my house actually right. in London, and i have got. Um, What's in the courtyard in your London house? There's like a oh, um, painting Oh, Jenny Holzer. Gen, oh, Jenny Holzer, Holzer yeah. I love that one. Yeah. So yeah, I've got actually got quite a lot of art, good yeah. art as yeah, well. Yeah. But um, but I'm really looking forward to Margate and being able to put it put it all up. Do not you like all,
3: living with your own work at all? No, not really. No
1: shouldn't say that. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be a bit weird to live with your own work. It's a bit. It's, it's too emotionally difficult for me. Yeah. Because I think it and because I breathe it and because I see it to to actually. So, just, I've got some. So, but in my studio, I have a couple of paintings up, you know, all the time, upstairs as well, and in the library. And in the library, I have an area where I change the painting over quite regularly, all right. which is nice, which I enjoy doing. But but being so making work that's so emotional and so much part of me, and then actually living with it, it's like, it's like as I said, it's like the insomnia, you know, waking up and the same memories and the same things. Going on. part of me doing the painting is to release myself from it, yeah. to release myself from that emotion, like a cathartic. cathartic yeah. yeah.
3: And do you do you like playing with humour ever in your work?
1: Uh. I don't think any of this is that funny, actually, Russ. No, us, no I know, don't. We've but got I mean, the, we've got outside the, the, of the, this show. No, not really. No? No. What, what do you know that I've done that's funny?
3: I, do, I don't, but I, I've read things and it says that sometimes you like to play with humour in your work and some people can you, can, you think there should be funny stuff in there, but people aren't seeing it. Did you ever find that?
1: No, I don't. Okay, I don't think right. there's anything funny about what I do really. Nothing funny about rape or abortion or No,
3: I agree.
1: Oh, uh, what Because I was trying to think what else. Heartbreak. No, not funny. No. Um I did say about the insomnia mm-hmm. books, for example, but it so if someone said to me, Why why Tracy, you know, why are you alone? But like it's at the press conference. I've been I live alone, I've been alone, I lived alone for sixteen years now, or whatever, eighteen. And I said, "Just go into the insomnia room." This tells you why I'm alone. And they said, "Do you think this work would be different if you were with a partner, in a relationship?" And I said, "Yeah. First of all, the pictures would be landscape, and there'd be someone else, someone <laughs> asleep next to me." Mm-hmm. I said, "And then secondly, the, you know, you'd have all these pictures them asleep, them and then you'd have them of being angry with me, and then they just wouldn't be in the picture anymore, and then you'd have me crying because they'd left me because of my insomnia or whatever." So. Right. You can turn things around, but the reality of it is, <laughs> not, it's funny. Not, it's not funny. Not funny. Okay. All right. <laughs> I got told. Which is funny in itself. Yes, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say, we have got one big, one, only one neon in the show, and that's a big neon, and it's one, two, three, four, five, six-lined poem, and. You know, putting the neons in the show, it, I was thinking, should I put a neon on the show, shouldn't I? So many people ripping me off. Everyone's seen neons now. And I thought, I am the queen of neon. You are the queen of neon. And I love neon. And I make neons. And yes, I am going to put it in the show. And this is a neon poem. And it says, I longed for you. I wanted you. The only place you came to me was my sleep. Too far for me to touch. With time you slowly disappear. The distance of your heart and to do a big neon poem like that is pretty good because all the people that ripped me off they wouldn't technically be able to even do that wow. they would make a real mess of it i think it's looks so simple but it's so complicated to do that
3: and this again would have started like the maquette start is something quite handheld that that's a, just a handwritten piece of paper that then gets yeah. expanded because we're looking mm. at something that's... But
1: like... I want to also say, though, about the big sculptures, It's not they're not just blow-ups. We work on them. I work on them afterwards as well. Oh, right. And they all have to be... Re- really, it really takes a long time. Uh-huh. And and it, the text changes, it changes, bits change. It's not just... And, and part of making them bigger, it might not work. So I chop bits up or change it's it. It's an evolving it's like, process. Yeah, right. yeah exactly.
4: I love the decision of the colour of the neon as well, in this case, with the white neon, you know, with all the paintings. Well, the whole
1: thing with this show is I wanted it to be a surprise. I think I wanted people to, come, you know, first of all, the insomnia room is a big surprise. Yeah. The mother is a surprise. The ashes room with the small myopia, sort of diary like things is a surprise. And then you come in here and you think, oh, it's paintings. And then you come around here and what? This is a. You you've seen the mother, but you didn't expect to see these two big ones, and you certainly didn't expect to see a neon poem. Mm-hmm. So Um finally, what do
4: you think is the key to your kind of longevity? Like the reason that you've had this like career that's been successful for, you know, 20 years or more. because um, you really have been, you know, not every artist has that kind of Would do you really want to know? Yeah. Because I don't think I've even started yet.
1: Exactly.
3: Somehow. what's next I the, the show
4: feels like that though when you come in the yeah, show it the feels like a new it? artist yeah. or something. Well, it's it feels the beginning like, yeah. Yeah, well, I this, said that to you,
1: didn't I, I? you said I said it's like coming out or something Yeah, you know? well,
3: I came out as gay and you came out as an artist
1: yeah.
3: <laughs> 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 Well, what's next what's next for you what, what happens um, now
1: next for me is I'm curating a, sh- uh, um, a show of draw- impressionist drawings at Musée d'Orsay in Paris in June yeah. I have a show in Ibiza with Xavier in June, and it's on all summer. Oh, yeah, cool. get oh, down, wow. I Viva. There we go. Wow. Yeah, and and then I have a show with Luke and O'Neill in Rome in September, and then I have all of the monk the world of Edvard Munk in next year, twenty twenty. Yeah,
3: right. It's going to be amazing. Wow. So I'm
1: busy, and then after the twenty twenty, I'm going to take a couple of years off. You are. Yeah.
3: And what were you doing them two years? Do you think?
1: Become a better artist.
3: Fantastic.
1: So when you take time off,
4: you continue to work, obviously, like, to make art, because you can't stop making art. Yeah.
1: yeah shut up, Rob. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, on that note, um, thank, you, thank so you so much, much for Tracy. being our guest on Talk Art, Tracy. you the dream. This has been amazing. Cool. And, uh, yeah, it's been 15 years in the making, 10 years in the making.
1: Yeah, I've lost my voice, though, now. From talking too much. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Tracy. Cool. So if you want to see any of the artworks on the At Talk Art Instagram feed, you'll be able to pick up on that, right, Rob?
4: Yeah, and we will be back very soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much for listening. Bye, Tracy. Bye, love you. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Recorded at Spiritland London by Anthony Shaw and edited by Gareth Isles. Subscribe to Talk Art on iTunes and Spotify. Give us a rating and write us a
0: comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5.